everyone. Welcome to our latest episode. I am Vivian, one of the co-hosts of the Pulse podcast. Our purpose is to capture the pulse of healthcare innovation spanning leaders across the healthcare ecosystem. Today, we're super excited to have Andrew Parker, CEO and co-founder of Papa, as our guest today. Andrew has a passion for healthcare, technology, and people. Prior to founding Papa, Andrew ran health system sales and strategy for MDLive.com, a large telehealth provider where he was one of the first 15 employees. In 2017, Andrew founded Papa with a goal of supporting older adults and their families throughout the aging process. Based in Miami, Papa is an on-demand assistance service to help people and their family members stay independent while living securely and happily at home. Today, Papa has grown to over 220 employees and over 15,000 pals on the platform, working across the nation in all 50 states. Papa has raised 18 million in Series B funding in late 2020 from Comcast Ventures, Canaan Ventures, Initialized Capital, Air Angel Syndicate, and more. And in the early days, Papa was also part of YC's Summer 2018 Accelerator Batch. Awesome, so let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I guess we can start out by talking about your early career aspirations and if they're related to, you know, where you are at now, what you imagine your life to be, sort of like a more meta question overall. Yeah, sure. I grew up in South Florida, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I would say more loosely. I did a lot of odd jobs, really anything, you know, whatever I needed to, maybe I wanted to go and get a cool sneakers or want to go on a trip. And I would just do a job specifically around solving that one need, which was like getting a couple hundred dollars here and there. And I would do all these odd jobs. Uh, looking back, I realized that was probably telling or foreshadowing to the future. But I uh, went to college at Florida State. I uh, went to school for finance. I thought I went to school for finance. I could learn you know, what it means to build a business you know, kind of end to end. Couldn't get a job out of college. I applied to over 400 different places, literally and no one wanted to hire me. Um, a lot of them said that I wouldn't last there long. I think maybe I came off as someone that would want to kind of go off on his own. And started my career doing literally door-to-door sales, actually. <laughs> so sales is where I started and it was a big portion of my career. I actually did that only for one month because I broke my foot playing basketball after work and I literally couldn't do the job anymore because it was requiring physical you know, walking in between buildings. Uh, and I didn't like the job that much, but now I had a resume and I got into a really great program uh, and I was able to go into uh, AT&T has this like leadership development program. I moved to Atlanta for six months and it was a great experience. And then I ended up joining a startup called MD Live, which is a, a telehealth company that I joined in 2012 as, as a salesperson. It was a group of you know 15 or less of us and Help build that business. And that really taught me what it was like to build something from scratch. And then I left in uh, 2017 to start Papa. Wow. And I guess what was the transition from MD Live to starting Papa? Yeah. So I was at MD Live for about six years. The company grew to like 35 million members, worked for many health plans and employers. And we ended up, I think we had about 350 employees uh, when I left. But I started this concept to help my grandfather. My papa needed help. He didn't need bathing and toileting, but he needed a friend. Um, so I thought we could hire a college student and connect them to, and it worked really well. He loved it and the pal loved it. And it was kind of an aha moment. You know, my grandpa wasn't really willing to try anything new at all, <laughs> let alone a, a stranger. And the fact that he was excited about it, I thought was super powerful. Uh, there were some changes at MD Live, and I thought it was my opportunity. So I left a really great job to go to zero and start Papa. That happened in May of 2017 and transitioned to, to the company. And, and, you know, I was by myself at the time. I met a co-founder and uh, we've been building ever since. Amazing. And I guess like 
what was the transition from starting from zero? Do you remember the day that you decided that you would start working on your own project? Yeah. Well, I came up with Papa probably about a year before and we built a cool app and we had this idea of what it would be like. And it was, you know, a way to review profiles and accept the pal and go to their house. And what I realized was it was super hard to get people to use it, but the 10 people that used it were like almost oddly in love with it. Yeah. And so I decided, and I'm very good at convincing myself that if I quit my job and focused on it full time, that it will 100% work. I had no there was no debate about it. I just knew for sure. That's just how I operate. And so day one, it was May of 2017. And I started to you know, build out a deck and try to raise some seed money because I wanted some engineers and a customer service support and, and a co-founder. And then we went to Y Combinator. But I do remember these days like it was yesterday. Um, yeah. it, it was only three years ago. So it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, and, so fast. <laughs> um, it was right here. It was, it was right where I am sitting right now. So <laughs> I came up with the idea that I'm like, oh, we should pair older adults to college students. Like, oh my God. And then I took my whole life savings in that moment and, and I started to build the company. Wow. And uh, who was your co-founder? That, like, how did you find that person? So when I quit my job, I, I was by myself and I, I didn't think I needed a co-founder per se, but I knew that I needed a partner. Um, so whatever, I didn't think about it in that way. Just someone to help me build the business. I'm more of a sales and strategy and became a funding understand healthcare and how to how to grow that. But I didn't really, frankly, want to do the day-to-day operations. I like thought about the product and how we should build it, but wanted somebody to go into the trenches with me. And so I, I literally met some random person on LinkedIn, actually. And uh, he, I didn't really know what you know we were going to do together, but we were talking about different ideas. And he was really smart and he knew healthcare and nothing came of it. But a month later, he introduced me to this guy, Alfredo. And he was like, Alfredo has this startup and he needs some help selling in the health plans. Maybe you could help. And I'm like, sure, I'll help someone. It was, I didn't think about Papa, just sure. Like a month later, it didn't work out. I was not able to help him. And I'm like, I don't think your business is going to work. You should join Papa. He goes, I think you're right. And I, I offered him uh, you know, the chief operating officer role. Um, and then we, I remember the next day, you know, after he joined, he comes into the WeWork where we had an office. And we had a conference room with a whiteboard. He's tried, you know, drawn out a SWOT analysis. I'm like, oh God, what did I get myself into? Um, but I remember that exact day. And we've been growing a lot since then. We have 210 employees. We're national. We have pals across the country. We work with about 40 health plans. And when we went to Y Combinator, officially made him my uh, co-founder. And that was a fun experience, obviously, that whole process. And yeah. that was my first, my first foray into... Silicon Valley. I mean, I'm, I'm Miami is cool now. Uh, it wasn't, it was cool before, but it was not recognized as a, as a place for tech. Right. And I think that's happening like in real time as we speak, but that gave me like access in a way like why Combinator, I always say is like my lasso to the West coast. And it opened up my world to venture and product and how to build a scalable technology business. That's awesome. So you, that was when Y Combinator was still in person, I guess, which is nice. Yeah, it was like the last of a dying breed. You know, it's interesting. In my entire life, like one year after me, everything changed. changed. <laughs> I was always the last. Uh, that was true through college and high school and, and when I was younger. So Y Combinator was at the Computer uh, Science Technology Museum, though, or the Museum of the History of Computers in, in Palo Alto. Yeah. And that was super cool. And I was on stage and it's two minutes and it's, you know, with all the cool <laughs> investors and it was the most fun day. And I actually have been trying to replicate that moment, that FOMO that occurs in real time in two minutes <laughs> uh, over and over again. We're getting close though. 
Awesome. I guess going back to Papa, for those in the audience who aren't familiar, sort of what is, can you talk about the offerings and also how important it is in terms of the fact that we have aging population, we have obviously a loneliness epidemic with COVID and a lot of people having to stay at home. Can you talk about overall Papa as an overall company and mission? Sure. So Papa connects older adults and families to Papa Pals. They provide companionship assistance and transportation like family on demand. We've recently evolved quite drastically where we now actually also help them navigate their care within their insurance. And then we also connect them to virtual primary care doctors. We call them Papa Docs. So Papa's essentially evolved to be a curated platform for companionship and clinical care to support people socially and clinically. So if you're lonely and isolated and don't have a car and don't have food, you know, don't have money, it obviously affects your health. And now insurance companies, Medicare Advantage and Medicaid and employers are paying for these things to take care of their members. And most of our business today are older adults or, or seniors that are getting this as a benefit through their insurance providers. So we work with like Aetna and Humana and many of the Blues plans and several others. Um, and it's a benefit that they get where a pal will come over or call them or video chat them to be an extension to their family and help them with the varying needs that they have. We have grown to a national provider. We work with uh, plans across the country. And, and the biggest thing is, we're helping members. The members love it. We're reducing their loneliness and their isolation, but we're also helping them with their health. So taking them to the doctor, helping close gaps in care and you know, providing for real impact and outcomes. And it's a big focus of ours. Yeah. Um, so we built a technology that does all those things. It connects all those pieces and really to make the secret sauce happen, which is a pal that's super nice and youthful and fun and energetic. Yeah, I guess um, in terms of how it's designed, it's like a three-sided marketplace. You mentioned beginning like 10 people would love using it and then it was hard to recruit people. When did that switch or change? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was impossible to get members, like literally impossible. And no amount of growth hacking would work because imagine the Google that a older person is looking up. Hey, my name is Margaret. I need a pal. They're going to come to my house on Wednesday. Hey, oh, my, my daughter's out of town. Thanks. And then press the search. <laughs> so we tried all those different uh, methods and, and it wasn't really that successful. We did get a little bit of traction early on you know, doing that. And that's what got us into Y Combinator. But during Y Combinator, uh, CMS approved companionship for Medicare. Mm-hmm. And we were actually set up to work within those you know, constructs. You know, from a legal and compliance perspective, just because my background was doing that. It's kind of an odd thing to, to be set up to, to yeah. do, but we were. And so that was really fortunate timing and the loneliness epidemic, as you referred to it, has only been exacerbated during COVID. Um, so membership has really taken on a, a huge growth trajectory and the health plans are now wanting to really move forward in a big way with our services. And so now what before was easier with the PALS has now become the more challenge. We actually have about 20,000 pals apply a month on Papa with limited marketing on that side. But that's really then taking those people and making sure it's the right person for the program. And we take them through this automated, you know, kind of curation process where less than 10% of them get on the platform because we look for the right personality and the right background and the right background check. And then they get into the application. But I would say the challenge is the pals. We also have members that are in the middle of nowhere because we work with Medicare. You could have a member in the middle of nowhere and you have to support them. Mm-hmm. And this isn't like a traditional demand supply marketplace. These are scheduled recurring visits that are really there to improve the lives of the senior. And in, in terms of PELs, do you see them as interchangeable with like a caregiver or you think, is it more of like you have a caregiver and a PAL? So the, a legal licensed caregiver mostly is the difference between the two is doing bathing 
you know, what they refer to as toileting and transferring. So like physically moving someone. Papa pals do not do those things. Mm-hmm. And so I know it, it may be a small difference, but it's a pretty big impact. And we're really focused on companionship, which healthcare would call IADLs, instrumental activities of daily living. It's all the assistance and family on demand type stuff. And so they are caregivers, obviously, but it's really someone like you or me that's mm-hmm. youthful and energetic and trustworthy and knows how to follow an app. But also there's a lot of self-selection. If you don't want to deal with older people, you're not, you're not going to apply. Got it. I guess in terms of the Papa Health, I know that's relatively newer. What was the natural transition for you to expand to, I guess, care as a whole? Yeah, my whole background is telehealth. Right, that's true. The majority of my career. And I always wanted to offer telehealth to our members. I mean, that was just such an obvious thing for me. And I knew exactly how to build the product and everything. But that, you know, seniors wouldn't have used it. And it's kind of funny, or now it's not funny at all, actually. It's evil sounding. But back when I was at MD Live, I would always think about how do we drive adoption? How do we drive adoption? Well, the number one way would be to get everyone sick at the same time. I would always say that. (laughs) Now it sounds like kind of crazy. But I knew that was true. And that's really the big behavior change in in digital health in general and adoption of these types of technologies. And that's true for older adults too. They're now saying, you know what? I am lonely because everyone's isolated. You and I are isolated right now. Uh, due to the pandemic. And so it became less of a stigma for them as well. And they felt more comfortable saying, you know what? It's not that hard to learn how to use Zoom. It's not that complex to use an iPhone, but they never wanted to or needed to before. So in the pandemic, we switched to virtual visits. And then in December, we did 40,000 or so virtual visits with older adults for companionship. And then once I unlocked that, then boom, we're going to bring in telehealth. We're going to help these people with companionship 80% of the time, but they still need clinical support. They still need care navigation. And so now we have this amazing platform that provides both virtual mm-hmm. and in-person services based on your need or your preference or whatever. Would the Papa Docs um, be sort of the replacement for their primary care physician or was it would it be more of a supplement? Well, if they have a primary care physician, we are never going to try to interfere in that relationship. If they haven't seen one in a long time, we will try to get them back into that primary care physician. We're really focused on those that are not really uh, seeing primary care physicians. Medicare Advantage requires you to assign a physician. We, in some cases, become that physician. Ultimately, we are a virtual first primary care solution with the PALS as the boot on the ground. And we have developed what's called PAL University to level up PALS, to take them from hanging out and helping out to plugging in remote patient monitoring devices, to helping them get on that weight scale because they have congestive heart failure, to helping them actually conduct a telehealth visit. So it's really just a proactive approach to helping most solutions that are reactive. You have to be sick. You have to be chronically ill. Uh, you have to be at the hospital. Awesome. Um, I guess moving into go-to-market, just because I find it really interesting that you have so many strong contracts with health plans. You know, What did you start out with when you first launched Papa? Because I think a lot of digital health startups sort of struggle with the like chicken or egg problem. Like, We don't have any outcomes. How do we sign a health plan? And then like, once you get the ball rolling, you know, how easy is that to keep going? I'm so amazed by what you just asked, because I don't think a venture back individual would have ever asked that three years ago, or at least not what I experienced. You know, I think now we're recognizing and the venture community is recognizing that there's product market fit, and then there's what you wish was product market fit, and the proverbial you. And so anyway, I think it's interesting that you asked about the chicken or egg problem as it relates to outcomes. Mm-hmm. and health plans versus what probably you would have asked three years ago was pals versus members, <laughs> chicken or egg. 
Yeah. And so I just really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> and so for us, you know, it does take a significant level of sophistication around how to sell to help plans, what they're looking for, how to market your products and how to talk about them on the sales meetings and understanding the impact. Well, not everything has to be studied, though we have studied a considerable amount at this point. But in the beginning, you know, we wanted to prove that we were reducing loneliness and we were improving unhealthy days and we were taking people things we knew we could do. I know for a fact I could send a pile of your house and take you to the doctor. Well, is that value to a health plan? Yes, it is, because that's closing a gap in care. And what does that mean? Now we can get that person to a better health state. So I think understanding how to navigate that is, is crucial. Um, it's not easy to learn overnight. It, it takes cycles of going through it. Um, and then also having the right team in place that can talk the talk and you know understand that some things can't just be product marketed in the way that your consumer marketplaces are used to. There's There's rules and requirements and it's complex. We started off as a consumer service because I couldn't get Humana to sign up with us until I got some consumers. But only 10 months in, maybe we had 45,000 in MRR, which is great at the time. But we started recognizing our consumer. It would get filled. But once we learned about covert analysis, we were completely upside down. And then once we got a partnership with Humana, we actually shut down everything else and 100% focused on that to make sure those three or four or five measures that we knew we could control, you know, we would for sure control them. Yeah. And that helped. And then, you know, getting a big opportunity with them just kind of cascaded the rest. And it's been a fun run so far. I guess in terms of the contracts, I think a lot of obviously value-based care is very hot and it's amazing to have a contract that's based on outcomes and it's capitated, I guess. Can you talk about how you designed that structure or business model? Yeah. So you know, obviously I took a lot of pages out of the book that I was part of writing at Every Life. I mean, it's a very similar playbook. However, it's kind of the opposite. So if you took the playbook of MBLive Live and in my first business plan, you flipped it upside down. I thought we were going to go after employer benefits first. And then I realized that employers, families can be all over the country, all over the world. I believe I got one really, really massive global company to agree, like when I was by myself in a laptop. <laughs> but then they're like, can you support us everywhere in the world? And I'm like, well, I can't. I don't think we can build that fast. So then we decided to go consumer. And then we ended up going with Medicare Advantage, which is effectively hyper-local. So it's easier to build a network around it. The model we went forward with first was just a usage model. Every time you know, Vivian used Papa, we charged 20 an hour at the time, I believe. And then we had a program. And so we were able to kind of run that program and we expected to hit a certain number of utilization and hours. And, and we were actually really successful at that. Uh, we've since moved into more of a capitated model, as you mentioned, where we charge a flat rate per member per month across the entire population. Some portion of them use it. And you can't do that if you have improved outcomes. And so that takes time. Um, yeah. And also you have to understand your data. Otherwise you could be upside down. Right. You cannot be making money. <laughs> awesome. I guess we talked about challenges you face sort of in the beginning are there other interesting challenges that you faced? Obviously, there are challenges to scaling a company that quickly, but I'm curious, do you have any other stories about what it was like to scale Papa during COVID, for example, or proving things out? Yeah. I mean, the way I think about the world is like just chipping away. There's a lot of challenges in, in everything. I don't really see things that way, which I, I find is not common. I feel most people think about it a little differently, but just part of the process, you know, uh, part of the process is you can't know everything. Otherwise, if you already knew everything, probably someone else would have already made it. And so for us, obviously going through COVID was a challenge to a degree, more making sure we could support our members. I mean, we compared older people with younger people. You literally couldn't have a worse business <laughs> during a pandemic. And 
I remember getting phone calls from my friends that had nothing to do with Papa, just say, hey, man, I'm here for you. Like They knew we failed, but we didn't. We didn't lay off one person. Actually, we grew by like 40%. And that was mostly because we as a team, and all of us, not, I'm just one person, shifted around one mission, which was to make sure we could support our members during this time. And that meant turning on virtual uh, functionality, convincing the contracts and the health plans to do it, training pals, which we just started getting good at in-person and then completely <laughs> just getting... Let's do virtual now. Teach older people how to get into a telephone and a video console. Right. We did that all in a very short period of time. And then that just made our platform that much better. And then finally got me into what I always wanted to get into, which was, was telehealth. So yeah. another challenge I'd say more recently was we are bringing a lot of really talented people to the company. And we've made it a decision to combine some people with a background in consumer tech, marketplace tech, stuff like that. We had healthcare kind of strategy as we call it, like Swiss Army Knife healthcare people that understand like every little aspect of it. And they don't speak the same language at all. (laughs) And sometimes that creates animosity. And so a big challenge for us, which we, I would say, I feel really good about saying this, we've gone through, is teaching each other perspective. So perspective has been the more recent thing that we focus on and how to make sure that everyone is swimming in the same direction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think there's a lot of value when you combine two of those backgrounds even though there might be some differences. I guess in terms of how you see your company in terms of working more remotely, working more in person, I know Florida is a little bit shifting towards like more in person, but I'm curious, this is like early too, but do you see yourself running a distributed workforce? What are your opinions on that? Well, so what's interesting is now that we have the pop-up platform that's virtual in-person providing companionship, by the virtue of our business, we are really good at being remote. Right. <laughs> However, I see a lot of value in also being together. And especially since I understand loneliness at like a scientific level and not only thinking about the business, but like emotional needs of, of our team members. So that said, we are a fully hybrid business. Uh, we are building and about to open up uh, Papa headquarters in Miami. So our own home, our first official home. We were in a shared workspace before. And it's not meant for everyone to come in every day. It's meant for you to have a place to go if you want that. And if you have your team, you maybe won't have offsites anymore. You'll have onsites. We're actually looking at a second building just because we've already outgrown grown the first building, even if only a portion come in. But I do think it's important to have both. No one is going to be required to come in. If you're virtual, you'll get the same experience as if you're not. And yeah. I think it's the best way. Flexibility is key. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess in terms of... In terms of the business as health at home, aging in place, what is your perspective on the future of that? Where do you think the world's going to move towards? And also, as we return more to normal, what areas do you think will continue to stay and what will change back to what we were used to before? Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be cared for in the comfort of their own home at any age group? And I, obviously, with my telehealth experience, always thought (laughs) I was trying to sell everything I'm talking about, at least to the team 12 years ago. And so I think majority of things can be done in the home, but not a hundred percent. And so I think it's important to have a coordinated ecosystem that supports people both in their home, on the go, in the facility. But I do think the home is where like 80% of healthcare Mm -hmm. should be managed. What's funny is even myself, I probably hadn't, didn't use MD Live until like six years in (laughs) Like as a product, I mean, I was also young and didn't get sick that often, but like once you use it and you realize the value of being able to connect virtually and support someone in that way, 
And then a senior, think about this, like a senior could be sick and they could be in their home and they could be near their family if one exists, or they could be in a facility that's not where their grandkids were raised and their kids were raised. And like, it's just a whole different thing. And I'm positive being cared for in your home will increase your likelihood of improving on your outcomes because the home is where the heart is and it's also a good place to get healthy. Yeah. Awesome. And I guess in terms of home health testing, I see a lot of new companies. There's like the dispatches, the meta arrives, like the crazy funding that's going on there as well. What do you think? What's your perspective on that space? A big fan of, I have not run into meta arrive as much, but I'm a big fan of dispatch. I think that they're way ahead of the curve. Actually, I remember going into meetings with hospital systems like seven years ago, and, and they were there as well. I think of them as kind of the other end of the spectrum and a really, really, really important thing. And probably where a lot of the funding and why funding is going there because those are the highest cost needs. And so first you cut out the high cost needs, but those are incredible solutions, incredible platforms, and they're doing great things with health plans and providers. And they're bringing all the function that you would want in a hospital, making it way better, way more efficient and making it more enjoyable and then doing it in the comfort of someone's home. I mean, yeah. nothing more beautiful than that, I don't think. Yeah. And I guess like, I know I missed this, but what are you most excited about for a pop-up? Like, what are your next exciting milestones coming up? Well, I'm very excited the amount of effort we're putting into scientifically proving connecting people like through companionship is actually improving their health, improving their outcomes, extending their life Mm -hmm. and helping the health plan manage their care and paying people to do it. So for me, it's the perfect kind of win, win, win. And I think it's really exciting that we're starting to add more services. I don't want to boil the ocean, but I do believe it's exciting to offer a platform that curates both social support needs and healthcare needs. You know, you still need a doctor to prescribe. You still need a doctor to send you to a lab, but a pal can help you, you know, get there and make yeah. sure that you understand what's going on. So curating a great experience has really my, become my obsession. And curation is the key thing because there's a lot of aggregators and there's kind of referral platforms and those are fine. But for us to own an experience end to end and then be able to come to Vivian and make a solution that's specifically for you. Yeah. Personalized. It's super powerful. So that's, that's what I'm excited about. I guess there's so many ways to go about it. You could start providing behavioral therapy. You can start providing more so social determinants, support. I'm curious, like, are those areas you would be interested in going into? I don't know if you can reveal. Yeah. Well, generally, yes, but we're really tr- starting to align to it. I know you said it's a buzzword, it is, but yeah, true value based care. So taking on risk. And being able to manage more aspects of the care of the person. And so that will likely mean bringing in other types of services. We're not going to do everything, obviously. But you go to a senior, she hasn't seen a doctor. You know, she has, she's on diabetic medicine, but her record doesn't say she has diabetes. And the help plan doesn't know, so they're not able to properly engage her. And yeah. since we have these people in the home finding out information and being friendly, and then we can bring in the doctor. You know, so we will get into chronic care management at some point. We will get into remote patient monitoring. That's yeah. a natural evolution. We do a good amount of behavioral health now. I mean, really, the PALs are not behavioral health providers, but yeah. the members trust them. And they yeah. do tell them some things that are sometimes not so exciting, uh, that are hard. And our ability to help them, that's really our focus. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was looking at a company that was sort of focused on storytelling capturing stories from older folks. And they said that they can actually translate a lot of that information into SDOH data, like stuff that they don't actually tell their doctors. So 
that's actually an interesting concept. 100%. It's 100% true. Yeah, I've seen some of those companies. They're cool. Cool. I guess moving on to advice, you know, obviously we are a business school podcast. So I'm wondering if you have any advice, maybe not just business school, but anyone interested in going to digital health startups or even founding their own company, do you have any nuggets of advice for them? Yeah, I didn't go to grad school, so I can't speak to that. I'm a huge fan of Warren, obviously, but I, and I think that's incredibly valuable and it depends on your personal needs. But for me, I think the number one piece of advice I could give right now is don't overthink every scenario. And if you really want to be a startup founder, you just got to start chipping away. Mm-hmm. I used to say in the early days that there's not one big red button, but there are a lot of little tiny red buttons that does eventually lead up to one big red button. And I think if you recognize that, scale shouldn't even be in the mindset of an entrepreneur. It's just, how do I get my first user? How do I get my first interaction? How do I get my second user? How do I get my second interaction? Right. How do I make sure that it's really, really, really good? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you focus on that over and over and over again, eventually scale comes and that big rib button comes. Do you think that like the importance of customer feedback and being very focused on on getting an understanding what people need was one of the most important things when you were starting pop-up? I think yes and no. The reason I say no is older adults are very interested. Uh, they don't always know what they want. Yeah. <laughs> um, so ours in particular, I'd say it depends on the day. But yeah, I, I don't think about it kind of linearly like that. I think about it, everything that you capture is data points. And data is one obviously huge measure of how to make a decision. And then you also got to go with your gut. Uh, what I tell my team is sometimes you lean startup it and sometimes you Steve Jobs it, which means like either you find out what they want and you build it or they don't know what they want and you got to build it for them. Mm-hmm. And I like both camps. Got it. Awesome. Great. So, I mean, I really appreciate you spending the time with us. I know we're busy scaling really quickly, but thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.